John 5, verses 30 through 47. I'm going to read those, and then we'll pray and we'll begin. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning. Uh, Father, we, we ask that you would enable us to see and understand and comprehend the scriptures, God. Father, if there are those here who um, just heard that and it just is all kind of mumbled up in their mind, uh, Father, I pray that you would straighten it all out as we, as we work through it. Father, I pray that you would give illumination and understanding through your spirit. Father, we ask for uh, great help from your spirit concerning our our desire to be praised by men. Father, don't let that get in the way of of us seeing and experiencing the glory of God. Father, I, I pray that you would convict us where we have sinned. God, that you would bring repentance and refreshment and renewal in our minds and in our hearts. And God, help us to seek the very best treasure, you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we need to get a little bit of a framework here. So if you look at John chapter 5 as a whole, what what you're going to see is that Jesus makes just some incredible claims, okay? Um, Like kind of try to put yourself in in the situation where the Jews are hearing him, maybe many for the first time. Maybe they've heard about him. They've seen some of his miracles. Uh, Prior to the passage we're looking at, he just healed a guy uh, at the the pool. And uh, a couple people actually have, have, have been healed by him in this vicinity. And so the buzz is about Jesus. And so they go to hear him. And then they hear the following, okay? So in this passage, he claims to be the Son of God. 
Uh, he claims to be acting on behalf of his father, okay? So the way he puts it is, whatever I see my father do, that's what I do. And so in other words, when you see me, you're seeing the father. When, when, when you see my works, you're seeing the father's works. When you see my character, you're seeing the father's character, which actually is what Hebrews says about Jesus, okay? So he's making that claim. It's basically like, guys, I'm the son of God, and I'm doing what the father's doing, and when you see me, you're seeing the father, okay? Huge claims, all right? And and then in verse 21, he says, the father raises the dead and gives him life. The son, Jesus, also gives life to whom he will. Again, that's a big claim, all right? Jesus is basically saying, I, like the father, give life to whoever I will, okay? Now, that's been a theme throughout John. We saw that at the very beginning in John 1, that Jesus is life, that life is in Jesus. He himself is this power plant of eternal life, the greatest power in all the universe. He has the ability to give life, eternal, abundant, satisfying, flourishing life. It's at his disposal. He gives it to whom he wills, all right? That, that's the claim that Jesus is making. And then in verse 24, he says, whoever hears his word and believes has life. Everyone else is dead where they stand because they're under the judgment of God. And then in verse 25, Jesus says the time is quickly approaching when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's a time coming when every grave in Elmwood Cemetery is going to hear the voice of the Son of God. The spiritually dead, they're, they're going to arise as they hear the word of preaching. But in 28 29, he's been real specific that the time is quickly approaching when all the dead in all the tombs all over the world are going to hear the voice of Jesus and they're going to come out. They're going to line up, okay? Now, again, like, like, hear this. Like, Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do. There's coming a time when all the tombs are going to open and all the dead are going to hear my voice. And when they hear it, they're going to line up some, okay, this is 28 and 29, chapter 5, some to a resurrection of judgment. It will not be to life. It will be to eternal death. All right? Now, the Bible tells us you have a soul. Your soul is going to live forever. Okay? The soul never dies. So it's just where, right? It's either going to be a resurrection to eternal death in, in the hell of fire and torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth and separation from God and all that is good, or others to a resurrection of life, to new bodies, in new, a new heaven, and a new earth, in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Okay, now, those are big claims, all right? And we didn't even look at all of them, right? But those are some of the claims that Jesus makes in John chapter 5, all right? Well, the Jews, they respond by like, hey, who are you to say that you're going to do these things? Who are you to say that you have the power to, to do these things, that, that, that that's who you are? And so Jesus basically says, hey, I have witnesses, all right? I have witnesses. And, and he lists them. He lists three of them. He, he lists, first of all, John the Baptist, okay? So look at verse 32. 33, 34, he says, there's another who bears witness about me. I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, he's borne witness to the truth that not only that, that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may, may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. All right, so, so he says, John bore witness to me. Now, John was the prophet of their day. In fact, there hadn't been a prophet in 400 years. There hadn't been a prophet since Malachi. And John the Baptist comes on the scene, and basically Jesus says, look, 
the one prophet that you have heard, he has borne witness of me. I mean, if you remember the, the, the passage about John at Jesus' baptism, he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, there's the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, all right? So John bore witness to Jesus. But Jesus says, I have a witness even greater than that, and that is his miracles. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now, again, Jesus just healed the, the guy at the pool uh, on the Sabbath, and he, and he heals the official son right before this. And in John chapter 2, he turns the water into wine. And, and, and in fact, let's go back to that John 2 passage because there's a great verse that, that describes what his miracles do. In, in verse 11 of John 2, it says, This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, so what do the miracles of Jesus do? What are they for? Well, they are, they are testifying to his identity. It's like God, God standing up and saying, this is my guy. This is my man. This, this is my son. This is the one whom I have sent. Uh, and, and not only does, does Jesus... Uh, his miracles testify to his identity, but they testify to the character of God. Um, that, there are other miracles being done by other people, okay? So you've got, you've got the disciples and the prophets who did miracles by the power of God for his glory, uh, often verifying his word, uh, just like these mir miracles verify the word, okay? But you also have false signs and false wonders. And, and all of Jesus' miracles, they bear, they bear the sign of authenticity in that they reveal the character of God. I think one of the interesting things about Jesus' miracles is he's never grandstanding, okay? Oftentimes when you see, miracles happen today, um, the ones that we're a little questioning, they're often this grandstanding type of miracle, okay? Jesus, what, what did he do throughout the gospels? Oftentimes he would heal somebody, what would he tell them? Hey, don't tell anybody, right? He would say, hey, don't tell anybody. Yeah, keep this quiet. You know, I've, I've, I've got a mission here. I've got a ministry. I came to die, you know, so, and, and People would go ahead and tell, but, but he, he's often doing them in secret. If you remember when he raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, he doesn't let anybody else go up there but the parents and, and James, John, and uh, one other disciple, uh, Peter, James, and John. And, and so Jesus' miracles bear the authenticity of who he is and, and his character. They're done out of compassion and mercy and, and to restore the broken. And, and then the third witness that Jesus calls is the scriptures. Look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. Uh, we just, uh, we're going to finish God's story this week, this Wednesday, but those of you who are with us in the first two Wednesdays, you know, one of the big parts of God's story is walking through the Old Testament and then just spotlighting where we see Jesus. So Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. It's about the story of God's redemption, the story of God moving through history to bring about a Messiah who will save the world. And, and, and so one of the things that we, we get to do in God's story is we get to look at Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve fall into sin, and God looks at the serpent and he says, buddy, you know, there's coming, there's coming an offspring from the woman who's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? And, and we have a chance to look at Genesis 22 where Abraham takes his son, the son of promise, Isaac, who he's been waiting for for 24 years and takes him up on the mountain in obedience to God and puts him on the altar and draws the knife up and is about to slay him as God has commanded. And God stops him. And the angel of the Lord stops him and, and says, look over in the bushes and there's, there's a substance 
substitute, right? And this beautiful picture of both God sending his son and sacrificing uh, him for us, which he would do in Jesus, and also Jesus being our substitute. We have a chance to look at guys like Joseph, who his whole life is really what we call a Christophany. It's this this beautiful picture of Jesus. He was, he was uh, prophesied or he had dreams and visions of exaltation as a young man. And then he's betrayed and sold uh, into slavery by his brothers for pieces of silver. And, and then he passes the time of testing and he, he's exalted to a place of authority. And he rescues not only his brethren, but the whole world and forgives them and brings them to a place to dwell with him. It's all just this picture of the life of Jesus in the Old Testament. We have a chance to work through like the past over lamb in the exodus how the lamb was slain and the blood was put over the doorpost and if, if you weren't in the house under the blood then you perished but if you were if you were under the blood then you were saved what's that all about that's all about Jesus we have a chance to look at things like the rock in the wilderness that that the new testament tells us that was Christ you know Christ providing for his people and so Jesus says, hey, you have the scriptures, and the scriptures bear testimony to me. I love in, in Luke 24 when Jesus is uh, resurrected from the dead, but he hasn't revealed himself to these disciples, and he's walking to Emmaus with two of the disciples, and he's, it says in verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, so Jesus basically walks these guys through the Old Testament talking about who he is. He's like, he's in the Old Testament. And so basically Jesus is saying here, John the Baptist has borne witness that I am the Messiah. My works, my deeds, my miracles, they bear witness that I am the Messiah. And the scriptures, if you're reading them, they're the ones that talk about me, okay? So Jesus is making these claims. He's doing these works and he's saying, I am he, okay? Now, we're... Where do we go from that? Well, the Jews still don't believe, okay? Now, what I want to do is spend the rest of the time that we have today talking about why they don't believe, all right? Look at verse 44. So, so they don't believe the testimony of John the Baptist. They don't believe the testimony of Jesus' miracles. They don't believe the testimony of the scriptures. Why? Why don't they believe? Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Man, that is an interesting verse, is it not? There may be some of you here that maybe you've gone to church much of your life, but you just can't find it in yourself to really believe. Like, like you, you, you kind of affirm the things that are in the Bible, and you've heard them, and you don't really disagree with them. But honestly, you don't believe. Like, you don't really trust him. Like, it's not the best thing in all the world to you. You're, you're not willing to follow Jesus. And, and I just wonder if verse 44 might be why. And, and, and listen to it again, okay? This is why they can't believe. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Basically, Jesus is saying, you can't believe because you seek glory from one another instead of seeking the glory of God. It'd be like, the way he phrases that is like saying, how can, you, how can you see when you don't have eyes? Or how can you swim when there's no water? You know, basically he's saying, this is impossible. I mean, that, that's how strong he's stating that. Like, how can you believe when, when what you're concerned about is receiving glory from other people instead of seeking the glory that comes from God? Seeking the glory of men instead of the glory of God will keep you from saving faith. 
I believe that's what verse 44 is saying. Now, let, let's, let's back up a second and, and, and maybe move into this a little slower. So what is glory? When, when, he, when he talks about glory, that may be a, a funny word to you. What is glory? Glory is the display of greatness. It's the, it's the, the radiance of magnificence. It's the praise of the splendor of the radiance of something, okay? Now, what is the glory of God? Okay, that, that, that's a better question, maybe. Okay, so the glory of God is the radiance of his holiness. It is his multitude of perfections. It is, it is God's characteristics displayed to the highest degree. So, so in other words, there are wise people in this room, right? If, you're, if your vehicle breaks down, you're like, okay, that guy over there, he's wise with engines. I'm going to him, you know? If you got tax problems, you're like, hey, that guy's wise on tax problems. I'm going to him. If you got, you know, um, counseling problems, you're like, ah, oh, that, that person's real, right? There's wisdom in this room, okay? But God is wise to the infinite degree, all right? So, so as high as you can possibly imagine, and then that's just the beginning, God is wise. And so whenever we see the display of his wisdom, we are seeing glory, all right? There's power in this room, right? There's some young men in here that can jump up and put the ball right in the bucket, right? I can jump up and I'm at least a foot from the net, uh, at least. I'm, I'm almost there, okay, from the bottom of the net. I, I like our little goal at home where you can just crank it down, you know, and then I, bam, right? Uh, just like two inches. There it is, okay? But there's guys in here that, man, they've got power. They got power in their legs. They've got speed. They've got muscle. They can lift, okay? God is powerful on a scale that you can't imagine, all right? So, so when, when, you, when you read Isaiah 40 and you read that the nations are as dust on the scales to God, right? He, he holds the, the oceans of the earth in the palm of his hands, all right? All right, so Isaiah, what's he doing? He's manifesting the glory of God. He's saying, look at the power of God, right? You, we could do that with love. We could do that with grace. We could do that with, with um, beauty, okay? All of those things to the highest degree beyond what we can imagine when God displays those, that is his glory, all right? And so the Jews in this passage, they sought to display their own greatness above seeking the glory of God. They, what they wanted was the praise of men. What they wanted was to position themselves to show off their wisdom, to show off their piety, to show off their religiousness. They were super interested in being seen by others and praised by others but not that interested in seeing the glory of Jesus. Tony Ranke said this. He said, to be consumed with self-glory is to be blind to the glory of Christ. Friends, the, the gospel is to die to self, to die to the world. It's, it, 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 is, it, it is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. It's whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever gives his life for Christ's sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus wanted nothing to do with the glory of man, the way the Pharisees and the Jews saw it. He, he was not impressed with the rock stars and the celebrities and the social media stars of his day. The goal of the Jews in this passage was not God. They were not aiming to please God. They were not aiming to know and love God. They were not aiming to experience God's glory. They were aiming at men. They were aiming to gain glory for themselves from others. There's a great example of this in, in Matthew 6. 
Um, in Matthew 6, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus does almost a half a chapter on this. But, but he starts out, and I'll just read the first part, and then we'll summarize the rest of it. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they, they receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he goes on to say the same thing about fasting, and he goes on to say the same thing about praying. In, in other words, if, if what you're doing today, you know, if, if you read your Bible to be seen by men, if you want to know what's in the Bible so that you'll be respected by other people, if you want to be religious so that people will think well of you, you have the wrong treasure, Okay? First of all, Jesus says, whatever little pat on the back you get, whatever little uh, praise of men that you imagine in your mind that you've received, that's it. That's it. That's all you've got. Like you've missed the greatest treasure. If in your mind it is more valuable for people to see your dazzling brightness, you will not really seek the glory of God. You, will, you, won't, you won't seek to be blown away by God's glory. Seeking glory for yourself is a hindrance to faith. Seeking glory for yourself from others, okay? If we have time, we're gonna talk about there is a seeking the glory of God. Like, I wanna share in the glory of God. I, I wanna share in Christ. I wanna magnify him. I want his glory to be reflected in my life. I, 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 wanna, I wanna be with Jesus forever, okay? That's seeking his glory. That's, that's wanting to be wrapped up in his magnificence and to display it to the world. That, that's a good thing. But that's a very different thing than, hey, I want you guys to see how awesome I am and think really well of me. Those are really different things, and they're really far apart in where they end. All right, let, let's, let's talk just about, let me give you some characteristics of, of how seeking your own glory is a hindrance to faith. Okay, number one, those that seek the glory of men we'll end up using the scriptures to get glory from men rather than to experience and share in the glory of God. Okay, this, this is tragic okay? because what this book is meant to do is be a window into the glory of Jesus, into his glorious deeds, into, into the magnificence of God. You, you are to read about the character and the power and the nature of God and be overwhelmed with awe and love and admiration and pursuit and want more of him. That's what this book is supposed to do. But it's, it's tempting to use this book instead to bring glory to yourself, to impress men. Like you want to win at Bible trivia pursuits, you know? And you want to be the person with all the answers. And you want to be the person that impresses others with your deep insight and your display of knowledge. If you think that knowing the word of God is a means to heap up the praise of others, impressing others, flexing your own spiritual muscle, then I think John 5.44 says, man, you can't believe. Like that's gonna hinder you from really seeing the glory of God and believing. You know, in, in John 5.24, uh, it's a verse we didn't read, but it's a great verse. Uh, you should memorize it. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's not coming to judgment, but is passed from death to life. I mean, the word of God is crucial to faith. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And, and so, 
So the word, you need the word of God to stir up your faith. And so if, if you're looking at the word of God as a means to bring glory to yourself, like the thing that God would use to bring you to the glory of God actually is hindering you. You're not rightly seeing or, or looking at or beholding the glory of God if you're using the word as a means to glorify yourself. Number two, if your aim to get, is to get glory from others, you will struggle to see your own brokenness, your own desperate plight, your inability to save yourselves. The Bible is full of, of uh, evidence that, man, if you can't get broken, you can't get saved. Right? Like, if, like if you can't come to a, a point of seeing your own desperate need for Jesus. Let, let me just tell you this. Nobody comes to Jesus this way. Nobody comes to Jesus by saying, man, Jesus, have you seen how awesome I am? Like, I'm really good. Like, I'm better than everybody else in my class, and I'm better than everybody else in my family. I'm better than everybody else in my work, and I, I just feel like you're going to really want me on your team, okay? So how about it? Let's, let, let, why don't I be on your team? Listen, that person will go to hell, Okay? That, that, that's what the Bible says. They can't get to him. You, you cannot get to Jesus without humility, without becoming like a child is, is what the scriptures say. But listen to this parable in Luke 18. Luke 18, 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector... Okay, so what's that guy saying? Man, God, I'm really awesome. Thank you that I'm not bad like other people. Verse 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the, the tax collector, the guy that's in the corner saying, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy enough to even look up. He says, that guy is the guy who's justified. And then he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and let the one who humbles himself be exalted. And so if, if, if your design, if your strategy, if your purpose is, man, I, I, I want to live my life so that other people are, are, are seeing how awesome I am and praising me for it, it actually keeps you from God. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It, it is humility that triggers the power and the grace of God in our lives. All right, number three, I believe it is. If you're seeking the praise of men, you begin to believe a false security. Man, one, one of the worst things about seeking the praise of men is sometimes it works superficially. We'll talk about that in a minute. But sometimes it works. Like sometimes you actually get kind of a fan group around you. This is the plague of Hollywood, man. It is you'll notice, just, just watch the lives of those people. It is devastating when you actually get people around you that think you're awesome. Okay? They, they don't know you enough to know, but they, but they think that you're awesome and, and, and you have this fan base. Man, that, that is devastating. When you seek glory for yourself instead of believing what the Bible says about you, I mean, what does the Bible say about me? That says I'm, I'm broken. It says that I'm corrupt. Romans 3 says, I, you know, there's none who's righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none. No, man, I, I, I'm in need of Jesus. I am in desperate need of every day waking up saying, okay, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I need your power. I'm going to submit to you. My eyes are going to be on you. I'm going to watch you and follow you. That, that's, that's the way you win the Christian life. That's the way you, you flourish in the Christian life. But, but the danger of the praise of men is you actually start believing what people are saying. And then you have this false sense of security around you. 
When you can make a great case that you're more moral than others, you have a better reputation, you work harder, you overcome more obstacles, you have more good works, you've been more generous, you're, you, you've stooped to help the, the needy, the lowly, more than everybody else, and you feel this sense of superiority about yourself, man, all this causes you to feel this strong sense of security, and you can't imagine that your soul is in jeopardy. Man, I've been amazed at, at very moral, upright people. I don't believe they're Christians, but very moral, upright people who simply are not in the least bit afraid of death. They're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of eternity. In their mind, it's just out of the question that God would actually bring judgment upon them. Why? Because they're so convinced, I'm a good person. Like, ask everybody, right? Like, I I can line them up. Ask all these people. You know, there's just no way that, that God, a good God, would condemn me when I'm a pretty good, I'm a great guy. I'm going to ask everybody around me. And that, that is a false sense of security that some will rock right into hell because they believe the praise of others. I think we're fourth or fifth here. If you pursue the praise of men, you will direct your energy and focus on the outward appearance and you'll never deal with the heart. Okay, you'll neglect the heart. This, this is in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He says, man, you you guys have done a fantastic job in cleaning the outside. The problem is you've never worked on the inside. Other people can't see your heart. Your parents, your children, your friends, your small group, they actually can't see your motives. They can't see your secret thoughts. And so those who seek the praise of men, they they just ride on what everybody else thinks. The outside is all clean. It's better than other people. And they they never deal with the inside. You, you, You know what happens? You end up not confessing and repenting. You end up not having this life you know, I don't remember what, what great theologian said it, but there's some great theologian that said, the Christian life is always repenting. That, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. Like, like if, you're, if you're living the Christian life, you're always repenting. Why? Because the, the Spirit of God, you're stepping into the light. We talked about this in John 1. When you're stepping into the light and God's light is revealing your sin and you're repenting. You're always, you're always repenting, always coming to Jesus. Okay, but if, if all you're concerned about is the praise of men, you really can get your outside all shined up clean and everybody's happy with it. And you, you end up never dealing with the really ugly stuff on the inside. Next. When you're aiming at the praise of men, the words of men begin to carry more weight than the word of God. Those seeking glory from men will pay more attention to the words of men than the word of God. They will obey and follow the words of men when they promise them fame and glory and they'll ignore the word of God when it threatens to cause them to fall in the steam of others. Man, if you're you're seeking the glory of other people, you care deeply about what they think. And and so sometimes that's gonna, oftentimes it's gonna come into conflict with the word of God. So the word of God's gonna lead you one way, but that's gonna lead you into a way where you're gonna fall out of favor with others. And if you're seeking the glory of men, then you're going to care more about what they say than what God says. And you're going to end up 
disobeying God because you care more about what people say than what God says. You're more, you're more concerned about angering those around you than you are about angering God. Friends, this sort of man cannot believe. They, they cannot, cannot bear being laughed at. They cannot bear being mocked. They fear being mocked by their buddies more than they fear hell, sin, or judgment. Others cannot believe because they're consumed with themselves and their earthly gain. Remember the parable of the soils where Jesus talks about the, uh, the weedy soil? And you remember what he says? He says, the, the word of God goes in there, but, but the deceitfulness of riches and the anxieties of this life choke out the word and it makes it unfruitful. In other words, they, they can't focus on Christ or marvel over Christ because their attentions are all taken up by how to increase your name, your money, your game, your status, your likes, your followers. Do y'all know what the word consumed means? Like, it is really easy to get consumed with what people think of you. If there were ever evidence of that, it is present day, right? I mean, social media, we have a record. I think it's always been there. I, th- I think people in Paul's day were just as consumed about what everybody thought as we are. It just would have been harder to prove, okay? But today, we, just, we all have smartphones. We can just pull it up, and, and there's like ample evidence of how easy it is to just be completely wrapped up and consumed with other people. Them seeing your life and knowing what you think and liking it and affirming it and subscribing to it and ringing the bell and all those other things that they say to do when you watch a YouTube video, right? Uh, And it consumes. Like, I, I literally believe we're living in a generation of people who simply don't have any room in their life to think about God, to, to pursue God, because it's a full-time job getting you all to like me, right? Like, I put a picture up, and, and you giggle, and you're impressed, but then, man, eight million other people put one up, and you're watching them, and not me. I got to get another one up there. That's a lot of work. Especially because my pictures aren't very impressive, you know? And so I, man, it's, it's consuming. And then here's the end of all that, okay? The end of all that is this. Don't you know that the glory of men is fickle, fleeting, and hollow? Fickle, fleeting, and hollow. It, it's fickle in this, and Jesus is maybe the best example of this. He comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, to the cheers and praise of men and women and children waving palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, here's the king. Days later, the same people are crying out, crucify him. My friends, that's fickle. And I, I think you'll probably agree that the same folks that were really impressed with you yesterday are criticizing you today. Well, don't, listen, don't think you can fix that, okay? 
I, th- I think a lot of people live their life thinking, man, I, I can fix that. You know, I, I can be better. I can, I can get different friends. That, that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing we do. We're like, wow, well, man, these people are junk, you know. I just got to get new ones, you know. And then they'll praise me all the time. You know, it, you, you're, just, you're never going to win. It's fickle. It's fleeting. And it's hollow. Because here's the reality. Well, this is going to hurt bad. I've said it before, so hopefully you're ready for it. Nobody's thinking about you. They just aren't. Tony Ranke had this great illustration. Okay, so like you're, you're at like a reunion or something, or a family, well, I don't know, you're, you're at some event, and somebody comes up to you from your class, like back in school, and they pull out a, a picture of your fifth grade class or your seventh grade class, and they hand it to you. Who do you look at first? Your girlfriend, you know, the one you had the sweet crush on, you know, the, your best bud in the class, you know, that mean teacher you couldn't stand. Who do, you, who do you find first? You find you, right? Every one of us, you find you. You look at you first. Is that because you don't know what you look like? No. We're... We're just wired that way. And I think we think other people aren't. I think we think they're sitting at home thinking about us. Like, man, he, what he said was really profound, you know? <laughs> Preachers are the only ones that know that's not true. Because we preach for 45 minutes, and after lunch, if I ask you what I preach on, you're like, ah, what, what was it? Golly, it was something in the Bible, right? <laughs> I just, like, just face that. Like, you're doing all this work, you know, to, to be, show your glory, right? Nobody cares. Ah, oh, that's harsh. That hurt, didn't it? Nobody, nobody cares. They just care about themselves. Okay, but, but there's glory in God. Friends, aim for bigger things. Aim for better things. You're aiming too small. Some likes on Facebook, some followers on Instagram, somebody bragging you up, that conversation that you imagine in your, your friends are having in your own mind, okay? All of that is small compared to what God gives. All of that is small compared to just what Kelsey just, just displayed here, being connected, being joined to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who spoke the Milky Way into existence, being tied to him, living forever with him in a new heavens, in a new earth, having victory over your sin, being transformed in your mind. That's where the glory is. It's his glory that we want to see and behold and savor and be satisfied with and reflect and display and share forever. It's his glory. And once you make that switch, like I'm not seeking the glory of people. I want the glory of God. Man, now you can believe. Now you can believe. You can believe that he's everything the Bible says he is and he'll do everything the Bible says he'll do. So let's, let's pursue him.
Let's pray. Father, I ask you, God, to show us your glory. God, overwhelm us with your beauty and your majesty and your power and your your fantastic nature. God, show us your glory. Show us who you are. Show us what you've done. God, I pray that we would not seek the glory of men, uh, but we would pursue steadfastly and relentlessly to see more and know more of you. Father, give us that. Give us that hunger. Give us that desire. In Jesus' name, amen. in the way that we work in the way that we go about our business and we do the things that God you've called us to do and even in the monotonous chores God I pray that we will do it for your glory and for your namesake God help us to love others like you loved us and may your name be praised and glorified in everything we do we thank you God and as um, your message is about to come out God I pray that you